0: Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what we say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago but the thing about slavery it's affecting people now i tell you no lie when i see a film about slavery what peace eyes, and the welcome world to world world. the abolitionist daily the daily program which, which discusses in depth the uh, cancer that is brewing in the United States of America Which is known as mass incarceration We know is modern day slavery A direct descendant of chattel slavery It worked its way through through prison convict leasing Through through peonage Through through gangs Through through codes specific laws designed to uh, criminalize and incarcerate or at least get convicted uh, black americans former slaves back in the day is how it all started and just kept on evolving like i said through black code legislation and jim crow laws and has gone through decades of evolution and has resulted in in these last 40 to 50 years now from the roots of the uh, war on drugs to what is the war on drugs today and continuing to victimize millions and millions of people of color all throughout this country primarily but Americans in general the rise of the police state the militarized police state all of this is funded by victimizing the poor and the poor most often overwhelmingly is people of color so that's what we discuss here is how we got here what is happening while we are here some answers solutions suggestions ideas some things that people are practicing that we want to tell you about and you can join and we can continue to work on this to see how we can get out of this situation so not just a bunch of uh, whining and complaining, but also some ideas and connect you with people that are working in the fields, connect you with movements, organizations, protests, alert you to calls to action put out by those behind prison walls, people that are begging for help, begging for their lives to be spared. In medical emergency situations a lot of times In situations where they're being uh, singled out by the prison staff For speaking up or for uh, refusing to participate in the slavery equation Because really this is beyond simple mass incarceration Which is bad enough And it's beyond disenfranchisement Which results uh, with every felony conviction the, The loss of the rights to vote Which is bad enough. The genocide that results from taking, uh, men and women in their prime procreating years and take, excuse me, taking them away from the environment where they would be left to do that and make the babies and build the communities and marry and, you know, move on in through life like, uh, I guess you would say normal people are, are expected to do we see that there are our statistics every day quoted to us about how people of color in particular don't you know stay together don't stay in the home and don't raise their children as married people even though the divorce rate at large is always around 60% so i mean it's not to say that everybody that gets married even stays married but it's just it's just a good thing for news and to get a reaction and to give a, a place to uh, to to rest um, on your arguments as a as a racist or or I don't know a traditionally conservative type individual or someone who is benefiting from uh, white supremacist uh, racism institutionalized racism and wants to turn a blind eye to the incarceration situation or to uh, bring up the black on black crime or these type of talking points we hear. It's easier to just ignore the fact that the Normal uh, marriage divorce rate Is already over 60% to Just look right at black people and say that well you 70% are born out of wedlock And talk About the number of black children Suspended from schools and black Children that don't have their fathers In the homes and all these different numbers And on this program we're able to show you Where those fathers are, are disappearing to Caught up in this Race driven Demonizing terroristic mass incarceration system and the point of doing it all is to generate revenues at the end of the day this is an enormous revenue generator it creates jobs for one so you can hire more and more guards and more and more administrative staff and more and more people to be associated with running these institutions within the prisons federal, state, and private and even some local jails and county jails they contract with private corporations so we know that these contracts are for prison slave labor at prison slave wage rates versus the prevailing wage of the typical citizens out here. So one of the things we discuss is how the jobs that you would not be hired for in the private sector, going to work for AT&T for that $15 an hour job with the full benefits and the vacation, the 401k, the retirement programs, the sense of responsibility and self worth that comes with a man or a woman having a good job, a stable job they can look forward to for years to go to and build a family around and participate in the community and give back and and really you know put 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 in roots in the in the community and be a part of America. Those type of positions don't exist, especially for people of color and for the poor. And they don't exist at all in the job market anymore because they're putting them behind prison walls now. So you can go to work for AT&T's call center now as a convicted felon and make $0.93 cents an hour. And this is the reality of the truth across the board. We talk about McDonald's, Walmart, Wendy's, Applebee's, Verizon, T-Mobile, Victoria's Secret, Hundreds of corporations, not just a handful, who all benefit from this practice. And as quiet as kept. None of them speaks about it. None of them brings it up at their shareholder meetings. None of them talks about how they've increased revenues through these, through these contracts. I haven't heard one word yet from any of these corporations about, it. well, we're looking at a 15% boost this quarter because the contracts came through with the state uh, department of corrections of of Alabama so we'll be uh, cutting out 7000 jobs and we're going to be able to work through our our new uh, facility that we built at St. Clair at Tutwiler where we're going to be bringing in initially 3500 inmate employees at a rate of $0.72 cents per hour. And the state covers all other costs of overhead, so we just made a huge boost to our bottom line. So you'll be seeing some some dividends in, on your next uh, reports. I haven't heard any of them admit to it. But we find the evidence through other means, and we find out what's going on, and some of these people talk about it. We talked about the gentleman in Colorado that has the uh, correctional Corporations or corporate industries or whatever the name of it was that he runs. He's got a complex where there's six state prisons, all within reach of him. And he's got over 4,000 inmate slaves working on his various corporations. Fish farm. He's got a winery. Seriously. He's got a rare bird. I don't even know what you call it. Uh got a rare bird farm where he sells these super high-end quail and pheasants to hunters and, and whatnot. I mean, it's just some of the weird things. He's got a teddy bear factory where they make teddy bears, and it's a regular teddy bear just sold on the market. So this is the reality of what's going on, and you're not probably going to hear about this from many other sources. And uh, we talk about the laws that are forever being created, we recently discussed um, how the federal government has, has uh, steadily increased the number of federal um, federal statutes and regulations to up around 5,000 now federal statutes or laws, and well over 300,000 regulations, which, if you're in violation of these regulations, you just start the process of potentially being convicted of crimes. So... We talk about how very difficult it really, really is For people to not Break any laws And we do that Because that's the the knee-jerk response To these issues that we discuss. You know, people tend not to see The social impact Tend not to care so much about the humanity That is being uh, uh, Burned and wasted You know, looked over Discounted, discarded People tend to look at Another aspect of this thing and, and focus on how Well you shouldn't commit crimes That really seems to be at the heart of it all So we talk about the over criminalization uh, Hyper policing That goes on in Specific areas and neighborhoods Well there has to be more police there Because there's more crime there That's a logical fallacy Um The one does not necessarily uh Dictate the other You just choose to police there Because it's easier to victimize those people And the whole system works to disenfranchise As I said And in these uh, operations of gentrification Where you destroy these neighborhoods Then they don't have a political leg to stand on They don't have a revenue generating leg to stand on So there's no viability to the city itself And it's very easy to come in and, And raise all those buildings And run all those people out and build some new hot new area or whatever and and bring in young non black business people and rebuild and restart and once again black communities left behind so these this the political inner workings of all of this is a part of the abolitionist movement is understanding the moving parts of all of this. And how they all work together to create a situation where we now see around 2.3 million people incarcerated. And this rate is so many times higher than basically, than really any other country on the planet. We know that, but just the rates per capita is so far beyond what, you know, any other country would even approach to, to do so at some point it comes down to asking yourself you know where is all of this crime that justifies all of this incarceration when do you see do you see not on the news but where around you or where do you travel through where do you see millions and millions of people committing crimes day to day we know that mandatory minimum sentencing Longer sentences. Stacking charges. We know all of this plays a part. And much of this is lobbied for by private prison companies. We talk about on this program how the GEO Group and CCA combined for over $45 million in lobbying funds spent with Congress to influence so, hell I'll tell you the truth To to write legislation and give it to Congress And tell them what they want them to put into place And they just go ahead and do it Because they're getting big money from these people And there's more money to come If these things can come to pass So they're all Working together in the conspiracy Against the people Definitely against the poor And obviously Against people of color So we discuss things like the DOJ report here They came out about Ferguson and and showed without a doubt the the, uh, discrimination on a municipal level. Coming down from the city manager, finance managers of the city, who handed down to the police chief a mandate to continue to increase the amount of revenue they're able to generate from terrorizing the people. And a police chief agreed and told his officers what they needed to do. And so we saw the officers that worked in Ferguson doing what the officers in Jennings had done before their police department was dismantled for the same civil rights violations, the same race-based police terror, the same issues that that resulted in Ferguson and resulted in that city exploding in so-called riots. And all the focus was on the looting And you had two or three stores That had some damage to them And I'm sure Of all the video that we all saw If the police really had Some criminals they, The criminal activity that they wanted to go for I'm certain all those people could be caught in And in, uh, put in jail for, for looting For breaking down all that stuff But we found out that the focus wasn't even The death of Michael Brown and Ferguson The focus was the long-standing persecution of the people, from the municipal level and on the judicial backing of it, the judges all deciding whatever you send us, we'll prosecute, and we'll get fines on these people. And we start we start seeing stories of people with five, six, seven, eight, ten years of trying to pay traffic fines and parking tickets, starting out with a hundred-dollar parking ticket and it, it turning into. Over a thousand dollars, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars worth of fines and late fees and finance charges and probation uh terms of probation deals and probation violations and jail sentences and I mean just completely wrecking people's lives because they just didn't have a hundred dollars to pay a parking ticket. They could pay twenty this week, they could pay forty next week, they could keep and the courts just like, nope, we're not working with you in any kind of way. No community service programs, no alternative Pay or alternative sentencing Programs available at all Discouraged City council members in uh, bringing this stuff Out presenting these ideas and Trying to represent their constituents and they're being Shut down by the head people in charge And then the racist emails and the You know I mean it's just systematic It's a part of The system that we live in here In America so that's what we detail on this Program is to wake people up to The facts Sure, I have an opinion about a lot of this. I, I have an emotional connection to my community and therefore I have an opinion that is, that is somewhat driven by, uh, by that emotional connection. But my opinion is not really what I focus on telling you on this program. My opinion is what caused me to seek out and create this program because my opinion is that this is, this is not good. My opinion is that this is a cancer on our nation. My opinion is that this is illegal and and is a, in following in the traditions that actually established this country hundreds of years ago. It's the same slavery, it's the same persecution, it's the same hatred of people of color, it's the same genocide. So these are my opinions and I feel they're based in facts that I can provide. But I don't really share my opinion so much here. I just give you the facts that I find in various government sponsored reports in various think tank uh, compiled reports with various PhDs and attorneys legislators people working in elected positions writers, researchers so I find the information it's readily available, I share it with you not to enhance my opinion, but to just give you the simple facts. If I could find some conflicting information that that said other than what these facts that I present here was talking about, then I would present that. But across the board, there's not much argument being made with the what is going on. People know the what. And the why the why is somewhat debated I just got into a bit of a debate even yesterday about the why's but from the other side the person that was considering himself debating me there was never any facts presented and this went on for a few hours again and again it was was opinions and emotions and logical fallacies taking what I was saying and trying to twist it around taking the actual words I said and then Deliberately misinterpreting it So you're saying that everybody in prison Should just be let out No, that's not what I said So you're saying that there's a government conspiracy To just make all these black people be criminals That's not what I said So I'm seeing that Whenever there is resistance It tends not to be based in reality or in facts It tends not to be concerned with Actually solving the problems Through understanding And finding some place of agreement and having a, a careful conversation based in logic, based in reality, based in the facts and the science and the statistics. It just, it tends not to be that. It tends most often to be uh, cable talking news, jargon tossed around. It tends to be racist epithets thrown out there, however subtly. It tends to be personal attacks. So here we just focus on the science I mean there's just no way around it You just have to focus on the science If you just show the statistics If you continue to show the connections If you continue to refer to the Constitution of the United States To the laws that are already on the books This is a criminal conspiracy To extort funds From citizens The slavery so far is not illegal But the extortion is illegal The slavery is, is allowed under the 13th Amendment So we can't really We can't really worry about the slavery Until we can change that 13th Amendment Because it says clearly What is allowed here So we know that the slavery is allowed As according to law If a person can, can be convicted of a, of a crime So that's a focus of the abolitionist movement Is to repeal that 13th Or at the very least have that exception removed But we also focus on things like today We're going to talk about a couple of reports that have come out Detailing the hows and the whys of the incarceration explosion here in America And there's another report coming out That's that's talking about again The criminally negligent healthcare systems in place On these plantations state to state I mean it's a nationwide systemic issue You can't take millions of people Out of the society I don't care for what reason If we had 2.3 million people That committed murder against somebody else If they were all people That had committed at least one murder Of somebody else It still doesn't make it right For us to put them in pens And starve them to death Beat them to death Rape them to death Chemically mace them to death Let cancer spread through their bodies And give them an Advil for it And let them die from that Rotten teeth, poison and sepsis Constipation Dying of, I mean The the, the numbers are endless of the ways that People have come up with to murder Inmates, boiling them to death Baking them to death So you can't do that You just, you, you can't, you can't Even if every single one of them was a murderer Which they are not by any stretch of the imagination Well over a million people are locked up In our federal state and private prisons right now for straight up nonviolent victimless typically drug related most typically drug related but they turn from drug related into being violent considered offenses if there's a weapon somewhere in the area whether the weapon has ever been used is not a factor whether the person was holding a knife or holding a gun is not a factor if the police can search the property and find a gun somewhere they found an ounce of weed. They found a gun in the attic in a locked shoebox. Well, it's still a gun here. And this is a, you know, you were trafficking drugs with a weapon. This is a felony. You've got to understand the numbers of people, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are caught up like this. Yes, selling drugs typically is going to be something a person is not state sanctioned. It's not, it's not anything that people can, can do with the state protecting them. So they tend to, protect themselves and as they look to protect themselves when the police kick in the police very easily consider that weapon something that they had intended to use against the police so this is a high crime but if you look at it from Milton Friedman noted financial guru he has considered a, a financial genius his quote If you look at the drug war from a purely economic point of view, the role of the government is to to protect the drug cartel. That is literally true. But instead of seeing people that are involved in, on the wrong side of prohibition in this country, like prohibition of alcohol used to be the law, when you see people on the wrong side of prohibition of of, uh, recreational drug use in this country, the government is not looking to protect Their operations, the government is looking to capitalize off of all aspects of the operation, importing the drugs, bringing in the guns, flooding the, the black neighborhoods with all of this, and then picking the people apart as they don't have jobs, don't have education available, don't have services available, and they have to eat somehow and filling up prisons with a bunch of people with $20 crack rocks. Filling up the prisons with a bunch of people with used old rusty guns they can find just to act like they're protecting themselves and the damn gun probably don't even fire. But where'd the gun come from? Nobody cares. You had it when we found you, so here's 15 years to life. And it's happening millions of times in, in this country, literally. So these are things that we're going to talk about today. Like I said, we're going to look at the, uh, the hows and the wives, a couple of new reports of de- uh, detailing how the incarceration uh, explosion in America has come to pass, and then we're also going to look at the healthcare systems again. It's another report coming out that's talking about state to state issues. Um, Alabama is voting on a new bill here uh, pretty soon that's that's going to create a Class D felony designation for low level offenses, and the idea is supposedly to help decrease the prison populations. But the jails are already complaining. Because it's still a felony, and it's still going to put people in jail. And instead of going to prisons, they're going to be overcrowding the jails, and they haven't allotted any new funds to expand the jail sizes or staffing or whatever, so the jails will soon be overcrowded. But remember, Alabama is nearly 200% over capacity. So they feel like they can get a victory out of just saying they're doing anything to stop sending so many people to prisons. But we're also going to look at the aspect of this is still considered a felony, so the disenfranchisement is still going to continue you're still taking people's right to vote right to own a firearm protect themselves still taking those away from people even though you're claiming more and more of these nonviolent offenses that you know shouldn't be felonies in the first place you know people shouldn't be going to prison okay big deal you're sending them to jail but you're still taking away their fundamental rights um in our unexplainable black death profile is brother marlon brown A brother that was being pulled over for a seatbelt violation supposedly and it turned into a police chase. He hopped out the car and the dash cam caught the cop, ran him right over, killed him dead. So we'll talk about his profile uh, toward the end of the program. But this is the Abolitionist Daily. We're going to take our first break. Give us a call at 712-775-7035, access code 367526-POUND. It's star six and one and you will be on the air. We'll be right back. you are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Okay, we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nelaya on the Black Talk Radio Network. We are still in the midst of our 2015 fundraising effort so please visit the blacktalkradionetwork.com website or the blacktalkmediaproject.org website where you will find very easy to find right there on the landing page the donate tab and make a contribution to these efforts It's not just the Abolitionist Daily on this uh, network. I mean, there's dozens of programs that come on this network, and they cover a vast array of information and aspects of of black community building, life in America, news, politics, racism, obviously abolitionism. We're here at the Abolitionist Daily, New Abolitionist Radio But financial building and and financial awareness and education, message music, black autonomy, black power building. So there's a wide gamut of information being pushed through these networks. And we see the numbers, and we know there are tens of thousands of people that come to the Black Talk Radio Network every month, month in, month out servicing tens of thousands of people and the the audience continues to grow and really the main reason we have the fundraiser is because of the growth you know, access to the servers and access to bandwidth and all this to be able to put this information out to more and more people around the world the network is heard in, in several countries there's a cost to expanding that though and none of us draws the salary from what we do here. All of the research and all the work put into production and, and providing this information and, and bringing these guests in. And you know, this is true grassroots. This is, this is truly people that have a concern and have an interest in activism and taking action, building the community that they want to see, that they want to be a part of, creating the future that they want to leave to their future generations, just making peace for yourself while you're still here. Well they say you better get your heaven while you're here on earth There's no guarantees about what comes next I I mean I understand that sentiment I'm here trying to help build the Create the environment I want to live in I can't live in this environment with millions of people Locked in prisons It just doesn't make any sense So that's why I'm on the network And that's why I'm a part of Black Talk radio network family is to is to put out my thoughts and ideas and this is an opportunity afforded me by those who have given generously over the past years to even keep the network going so i'm here and i'm learning about how to create my own station here locally and and work with more and more people in my community and build up stations and networks and create the type of information and propaganda that we want disseminated into our communities we can't keep depending on the hot 107 and hot 92 and the we just can't keep looking at these sources to, to service black folks. These are caricatures of who we are. These are not, not really who we are. We're not really like this. We don't think like this. We don't talk like this. We don't act like this, but they keep pumping into our communities. We're not servicing the local community We're not telling people about activism We're not showing the children the right way to go We're not building business We're not establishing uh, a unity in the spending of our commerce We're not protecting our children We're not building better relationships with the police We're not creating our own policing forces We're not policing our own communities uh, by discussing these matters We're not uh, creating a, an environment conducive to building anything with these networks that are in place. FM radio that's going on around the country. City to city. I travel, have traveled over the years very widely around the country. And you always can find the, the black station. And it's the latest rap and the latest sex you up, sex you down, what I'm gonna do to you in the bed and all this kind of stuff or whatever. It it weighs on your brain, it it, it poisons your soul at some point to just continue to hear all of this nonsense and millions of our people are being sucked away into the belly of the beast millions of our people are being disenfranchised thousands of communities being disincorporated and gentrified political gerrymandering going on in our in our 12 or 13% of our population as it is so our vote is is basically in, inconsequential as it is but if we move as one unit and carry a demand with our vote it can make a difference But we're seeing ourselves redistricted and chopped up and made ineffective. And you could best believe that the radio is a huge part of getting the information out to our people to bring us together with unity. Everybody says unity is the answer. Well, unify under a network you see that's working, under a banner of something that you see that is working, that can reach people, that can provide informed content that can help you teach your children, that can help you raise and protect your families, that can help you develop an agenda, come up with a demand. So we go forward as one group with a demand for our votes, with a demand for our participation in the economy. Support that, because you're not going to get it from, from the hot 102. You're not, you just, you're not going to get it from popular culture. So support it when you uh, see an opportunity come before you. And the Black Talk Radio Network, Black Talk Media Project, this is the opportunity for you to take advantage of. Make a simple donation and it will make all the difference. Pledge a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars a month for the next 12 months. There's hardly anybody listening to this program that cannot afford to simply give a dollar a month. If if 10,000 people that listen to this show would give a dollar a month, we would never ask for money again. We'd be fine. But because there's over 10,000 of you, and it tends to be about 100 of you that hear this and feel like, well, okay, I'll give something. This is why we go on and on and on, program after program, telling you about the fundraiser. Just get it over with. You send some money, and then we can just be done with this and get back to the focus, which is community building. Not trying to generate revenue so we could just stay on the air. If you appreciate these programs, if you get anything out of it, then consider making a pledge. Blacktalkradionetwork.com, blacktalkmediaproject.org. And that is that. So, like I said, we're going to look at some of the hows and whys of the expansion of the prison industrial complex. And we're going to look at the, uh, the healthcare situation. I got a report from southernstudies.org called Dixie Justice. The roots and the legacy of the South's incarceration boom. Says it's not news that the United States is the incarceration capital of the world. The 2.4 million people behind bars in the U.S. today is more than combined population of 15 states, all but three U.S. cities, all of the U.S. armed forces combined. I mean, if you just think about that, we have more people in prisons than our U.S. military. To defend the entire nation, it takes less people than what we have locked up in our prisons. That's amazing. That is an amazing thing to consider. There's more people in prison than in the combined population of 15 states in this country. There's more people in prison than any city in the U.S. except for the three biggest cities. Just let that marinate the scope of that the size of that it's It's amazing says so mass incarceration on a scale almost unexampled in human history is a fundamental fact of our country today, perhaps the fundamental fact much as slavery was the fundamental fact of eighteen fifty yes, yes, see this is what continues to fuel. Our mission I don't know The writers of this And I don't know that we've had any influence On what they're talking about But for them to just come out And say out of their own understanding and their own study That what we're looking at With mass incarceration today Is what we saw in 1850 That was just the bottom line That was just the fact of the matter What people were dealing with at the time And that's what I talk about all the time Is that we need to look at this from that same standpoint What do you think those people were doing During 1850 Denying that slavery was real Is that what you imagine was going on 1850 People having a conversation about slavery Well I mean it's not really slavery I mean you know Those people are Africans well, how did they talk about it then? Because by then, they weren't necessarily imported new Africans. By then, by that by that time, they were the the regenerated generations that had been you know procreating here on the plantations. So it wasn't even the the, the indigenous of Africa that were being shipped here anymore. By 1850, these were people that had been born in America. So what was the reason? Well, because they're black, they're not even really citizens. So I mean this doesn't really I'm looking at a human being but it's really not a human. It's an African. It's 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 something else. It's less than a man. It's you know, it's like a cow or a pig. These things sound absurd to you. Does it seem atrocious and and just outlandish, ungodly? Does it just make you shriek and clutch your pearls? To imagine a conversation in 1850 saying that the person that you had With a steel cage around his neck and a bell on it Because he tried to escape a couple times with shackles on his ankles Somebody telling you that, well that's not even really a person though so this isn't a crime. This isn't anything bad. This, I mean, why would you stop this? This is how we get money. This is my job. I work for the freaking plantation. What do we, you want to just get rid of my job? It's a conversation of 1850. So fast forward the conversation of 2015. Why do you why are you worried about this? This is my job. I work at the prison. Where am I going to work? People in Wallace County just lost 400 jobs. So they're real pissed right now. They're mad. They took out $100 million in, in bonds, cities in debt, over $60 million behind the prison shutting down. They've already said openly, we don't have any choice but to continue to push slavery down here because it's all we have. We've got 10 Tex-Mex restaurants. The former mayor of the town, three-time mayor of the town, has got a jewelry store. That's the business we got here. These people need jobs. We got hundreds and thousands of people that live in this town. They need jobs. And uh, when the prison shut down, that was the end of the jobs. So we've got to get these prisons back down here. We've got to get another contract with the Bureau of Prisons, which before Wallace County was shut down, that was a $500 million contract for 10 years. MTC was getting $50 million a year to house nearly 3,000 immigrant detainees. For what has now become a federal felony offense to be in the country illegally. Previously, you get a bus ride out, but they found out Willacy County employees. They found them and fired them. They found out Willacy County corrections employees were taking the company vans across the border and smuggling people in. Caught them with illegal immigrants in the company vehicles while they were fully uniformed dressed on work hours bringing people across the border and then putting them in prison so you know 1850-2015 we know about the policing we know about the issues that go on in these cities we know about the Ferguson situation and it pointed out we started in Alabama last week on New Abolitions Radio we've been on Alabama here on this program for the last couple of weeks because we're going to go state to state however long it takes To show you what's going on in the cities That make up the states The municipalities That feed the jails That feed the state prisons And contribute to this 2 point As they're saying in this report 2.4 million people We're going to keep breaking it down to you Somebody's going to be able to find an angle on this That's going to be compelling to them And we're going to continue to make more new abolitionists It's just that simple That's what we're here for That's what we're going to do if I was talking to you from the pulpit at the Baptist Church, I'd be telling you we're going to keep going forward, saving souls, bringing, bringing more people through this gospel. Well, I'm preaching the gospel of modern-day slavery needs to be abolished. That's the kind of preacher I am. And I'm saving souls from the belly of the beast. He said, shadows of slavery looms over the days mass incarceration. Boom. As singer John Legend brought it to the attention of a national audience in his acceptance speech at the 2015 Oscars, they're cast by two defining features of our carceral state, the immense racial disparity in who gets sent to jail and prison and the unique regional roots of mass incarceration in the South. Yes, exactly. As Michelle Alexander argued in her pioneering book, The New Jim Crow, incarceration has long been linked to social and racial control. After the Civil War, for example, Southern states passed new laws and resurrected old ones that cracked down on vagrancy, loitering, and other minor offenses, often targeting African Americans. The South's prison population, especially of African Americans, skyrocketed. In Georgia, incarceration jumped fourfold between 1868 and 1908. So we saw another time when prison incarceration numbers boomed out of control. 1968 after the Emancipation Proclamation after Lincoln so-called set the slaves free we saw convict leasing bust out and we told you on this program convict leasing originated in the state of Alabama in the 1830s, 40s, 50s was perfected The people that were incarcerated were white people, all criminal, whatever, all handling of justice. (laughs) Just, I mean, how can you even take it seriously, man? The roots of the justice system in America for the black people that are here, that were brought here for slavery, who were formerly enslaved, the roots of the justice system are quite literally based in the slave plantation I mean that's like going to hell and getting a parking ticket you can't be in a more illegal situation than being a slave kept in a foreign land somewhere kidnapped and kept as a slave with no rights how the hell do you have no rights but you can be criminally persecuted and prosecuted that's what was going on on the plantation blacks had no reason to be in in uh, courts for what you're owned by somebody you don't you're not a citizen you don't get to be in in this court this is for the people the real humans you're a slave but when that emancipation proclamation passed and was ratified by the 50 states including all of those non-slave states Places that had said before, we're a free state, there's to be no slavery here. They brought in and accepted that 13th Amendment language, and we covered that on New Abolitionist Radio for an entire year. Week to week, we went to every state and showed you the state constitution. States like my own state of Kansas, where it said once before, there was not going to be any slavery. Took on the language of the 13th Amendment and said that no slavery and involuntary servitude shall exist within this state Except when a person has been convicted of a crime, so that's a real small little case of. Oh wait, nope. Turns out that's tens of thousands of people, and that's about four hundred million dollars a year in our state budget, taxpayers, for slavery. And we're going to hire out these people because I've got friends, I've got family from Leavenworth to various state prisons, you know, around the state. People in the, we've got some CCA facilities here in Kansas. I talked to people hooked up in all of them and they've all told me the same stories well you know I had never known that I never realized that's what was going on damn they did have him working they did have him him working for so and so they did have him working for this wow we didn't even realize that man that is slavery yeah it is because if that same job was out here in the private sector they'd have to at least pay him minimum wage to do that they'd have to at least pay her minimum wage or prevailing wage That same job is a $12 an hour entry job here that he was doing for CCA for the last 18 months for 27 cents an hour at the threat of solitary confinement if he decided he didn't want to do it. So see, that's coercion. That's forced labor for slave wages going on in Kansas, the free state, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. This is the line, do not cross. We're going to fight the border wars, all that history. Pissed right down the drain With the 13th amendment adoption And so as the article goes on To talk about the history in the south Of, of uh, convict leasing Introduced throughout the south We talked about on this program The convict leasing history Where whites when they were in prison Before the end of the plantation Were making sle- uh, Horse horse tack uh, Saddles and Stirrups and bits and Brains and whatever you needed to operate your horse and pull your carriage and this type of stuff. This is what they made in the prisons. Free labor, and they could sell these items. This is what people needed in the cities. This is what they could. This is what they could give to the people for sale, and they generated a great deal of revenue. The first prisons were built on people's property. The person that owned the, the property became the first warden. He wanted to do something with his property. The state had a very very low amount of money they could pay him for building a prison but I'm sure they had a deal well look if you can figure out a way to make some money with it then do what you gotta do but we're gonna start our thing and they worked together and they started the enslavement within the prisons and the convict leasing only expanded so it's ultimately another form of chattel slavery that functions to keep the black race in a subordinate position it's an abundant source of cheap cheap labor it's how they rebuilt the war-torn south The subjugation of African-Americans became common throughout the South after the war. Several laws were passed, or old ones were reinstituted, which helped keep the African-American population in its place, such as vagrancy, loitering, disturbing the peace, Jim Crow laws, just to name a few. When these methods failed, the use of force was relied upon, especially lynching, and lynchings increased after the war. Indeed, as several writers have documented, the use of force to keep African-Americans in a subordinate position increased dramatically after the war, one example being the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. One result of this practice was a shift in prison populations to predominantly African-American following the war. Data for Tennessee prisons demonstrates this change. African-Americans represented only 33% of the population at the main prison of Nashville as of October 1, 1865. But by November 29, 1867, the percent had increased to 58%. By 1869, it had increased to 64%. And it reached this height of 67% all African-American and Tennessee state prisons between 1877 and 1879. There was a slight decrease between 1880 and 1898, which can be explained in part by the opening of two main branches, two branches of the main prison, Brushy Mountain and Inman. In the 1890s, the population of Brushy Mountain prison was predominantly African-American, much more so than at the main prison. The only data available at the Inman branch are for prisoners on hand as of December 1, 1898. At that time, there was only 58 prisoners, all of whom were African American. I mean, the facts are just the facts, people. It's a long history. You, you can't find a place where the line of information is broken between the first slaves brought to the country to the times where slaves were so-called emancipated to those years following the emancipation which led Frederick Douglass to call emancipation an incredible fraud, something that he couldn't even believe how fraudulent it was when he saw for himself what I just told you about the entire population of the new prisons as they were building them became only black people How is this possible? Data from other states illustrate the predominance of African-Americans in the southern prison system after the war. In 1888, the prison in Baton Rouge, Louisiana held 85 85 whites and 212 African-Americans. In 1875, in North Carolina, 569 African-Americans and 78 whites were sentenced to prison. The actual increase in the populations within southern prisons is staggering. In Georgia... There was a tenfold increase in populations during a four decade period from 1868 to 1908. In North Carolina, the prison population increased from 121 in 1870 to 1302 in 1890. In Florida, the population went from 125 to 1881 in 1881 to 1071 in 1904. In Mississippi, the prison population quadrupled between 1871 and 1879. In Alabama, it went from 374 in 1869 to 1878 in 1903 and to 2453 by 1919. The sole aim of convict leasing was the financial profit to the leasees who exploited the labor of the prisoners to the fullest. This was the matriculation of slavery through the institutional American system. And I'm giving you this background. To round out a full fleshed up picture for you to see what's old is not really all that new again. It's not even the new Jim Crow. It's the same old slavery. We tell you that all the time and we show you these kind of statistics, this type of information. You can't get any more reality than these stats. you simply cannot get any more reality to to base your argument around than such statistics as these that I'm quoting you entire prisons built in states whose first and only inmates for years were black people former plantation slaves very similar conditions to what we live in right now there's no jobs there was no jobs The South was destroyed by the war. The industry took over the need for the slave plantation, and everybody was in the industrial north. And the convict leasing up there was building up the factories. The slaves matriculated up north to find jobs. And the race riots went crazy in those states for years. Year after year, race riot, race riot, race riot. Whites attacking blacks. Small black community. Whites come in and attack. Killed 300 people. Went on for 21 days. National Guard came in. Stopped it. Death total. Approximately 300 blacks unknown. Two whites hurt. One person arrested. Nobody jailed. And it all stems from all these slaves showing up looking for work. And it was no jobs. People have a reasonable fear of ending the mass incarceration boom and reversing the trend and decarcerating and depopulating these cells, people have a reasonable fear. Because if you take all these people out of prison, they're going to need jobs too. And all the jobs that you have that are based on all of this, well, they're going to go away. And you're talking about over a million jobs directly related to the prison's. So when you talk about decarcerating you You're looking at people losing jobs In addition to the people that come out If prison gates open today There'd be enough men and women coming out That you could completely staff every McDonald's In America I mean completely staff Every single McDonald's everywhere You could completely staff every Starbucks You could staff the entire United States Marine Corps And the entire United States Army And then you could go ahead and staff the entire United States Postal Service and you would still have plenty of people left over. So slavery now, slavery back then, the numbers, the situations, it's all the same. When we come back, we'll keep talking about convict leasing. Um, We'll continue to paint the picture for you. And then we're going to uh, show how that evolved into the modern situation that we have right now The explosion of the prison population You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily This is Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network And we will be right back this is Booker Host of Time for an Awakening Radio On the Black Talk Radio Network Speaking in behalf of the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser, since 2008, the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network, has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio Program on the Black Talk Radio. Peace, and we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and this is Johan and Eliah. We're breaking down slavery's history, talking about how things uh, started up in the South and how this whole thing has grown into what we are dealing with today. And we're giving you here the very specific facts, the numbers, the percentages, the reality of the truth, not conjecture, not opinion, no political agendas, I have no respect for nor do I participate in propagating the the lie of there being a a two-party system. I have no belief in that. It's one bird that's got two wings on it. There's a lot of positioning around politics, but it really ends up being the same thing. And we see specifically in what we're talking about with the prison system that there's always bipartisan support for further incarceration and generating revenue off of human suffering and enslavement. So the number of the program is uh, area code 712-775-7035. The access code is three six seven pounds you hit star six and then one and you will be on the air and if you have opinions or thoughts or questions or maybe you just want to give a uh, give old Johann in a call and just uh, remind me of how important this work is and how it's educating you trust me sometimes this is very difficult to keep looking at all this bad news and people usually send an email or, or send a message to the page or Some call and and tell us, you know, what the work is important that we're doing and whether that's on this program or new abolitionist radio. Um, I know Scotty gets it from time to time on the political prisoner radio show. I've heard people, you know, comment on how important it is, what's, what's happening. So these types of things, folks are very difficult to continue to carry the burden of because this is all bad news until we end it, until it's over, you know, we're in war and nobody is rejoicing while in wartime we're being warred upon we're being fired on we're being bombed our ranks are being thinned our future looks bleak our children are being targeted our women are being taken away our men are being made impotent and crippled our supplies are low morale is low to be honest with you People aren't really. Right. I mean, people get behind the Black Lives Matter. People get get behind hands up, don't shoot. It was a big injection to the movements. So I'll give credit to that. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't have an, an an opinion that applies to slavery anyway. To having to do with uh, what I think of the whole, you know, continuing to protest and and hands up and carrying signs and begging your oppressor to comply with your demands. If you don't have any leverage then who's going to comply with you? Even a two-year-old at least has being cute. I mean, when he comes and starts crying, you look at a little baby and say, well, he is cute, and that would just feel horrible if I didn't stop this baby from crying, so let me pick it up. But you got nothing in your hand. You got nothing to bring to the table. You will not organize and and impose sanctions against your oppressor. We talk about boycotting, but no one is... No one is getting behind that for no businesses are feeling any pinch. Nobody's threatened by the, by the great wave of black dissatisfaction at the poor treatment of the, I mean, it's ridiculous. I saw a video just yesterday and i like the buzzfeed videos i I really like them i've liked pretty much every one i've seen the little series of videos they put out where they have you know like a a little troop will come and it'll be you know some action they've had the thing you know things uh things black people are tired of hearing you know white people at work say or just silly stuff it'll be you know it's kind of trivial jokey kind of things and they always make it funny but it's very real it's very honest you know these are things that you know latinos are tired of hearing or asians are tired of hearing or you know just different stuff like that and so they got one now that's uh things that black men are tired of hearing or something and and it's just so whiny and i snapped out man I, i responded to it when i saw it i'm just like i can't even believe people are liking and sharing this i mean seriously this is supposed to be what the black man says as he's being persecuted is i want your validation white supremacy i want you to like me and so you hurt my feelings when you say i'm a thug seriously This is what you do. You won't build a community yourself. You won't impose economic sanctions against these people yourself. You won't control your money. You won't build your own community. You won't work towards autonomy. You won't teach your own children. You won't create jobs. You won't spend money with each other. You won't exclude people that are oppressing you. You want to integrate with people that are oppressing you and and assimilate into their system where they build the roads. They build the houses that you go and buy or that you pay rent to your landlords, typically a white person. You drive the cars they build on the roads that they build. They police those roads. They police those neighborhoods. They teach your children in the schools. They take care of you when you go to their hospitals. I mean, I look up and down the line and I don't see anything where a black person has really got much to complain about because what are you building? See, if you built a hospital to take care of the black people and you allow others to come, but if you had a hospital system where the black people knew they could get health care and you could take care of, you could deliver the babies that come into your, you deliver them. Then when they're being persecuted, then you can say, look, okay, you're about to push us to a point where we're going to have to take measures because you can't come into our systems and do this. We won't be allowing you to come in if this is what you're going to do is come here and call us out our name and and degrade us and treat us. We're running our own thing. What are you doing here? But you can't say that, see. You went to St. Paul's or to St. Mark's or St. Luke's. You went to Menorah, Cedars, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. You, you're going into their systems and getting what you need. And so if they want to call you a, a thug, if they say they're afraid of you, then you could choose to quit going there. But if you're going to choose to keep going there, why are you complaining? And so nobody really understood. There's a few people that understood what I was saying, but they're just, I can't believe you're talking like this. Well, I can't believe you're thinking like this. You got two and a half million people locked up in prison plantations. You don't believe slavery is real. You have 40 million black Americans living as domestic colonized slaves behind enemy lines, taking flack from all sides. You won't get each other's back and you can't believe that I would say something about it. Try building your own. And then you could tell people what you want them to say and not say about you. But if you're not going to build your own, don't complain. I don't think that the video is cute. I don't think that's funny. I think that's I think that's effeminate. Seriously, I think that's a little a little a little sissy type thing to do. It's kind of weak. So I'm not proud of black men for particip- participating in that. So that's my rant about the Buzzfeed video. Sorry, a little bit of a tangent. Uh, but anyway, before the break, we were talking about convict leasing. We're still fleshing out how this thing came to pass because this needs to be gone over from time to time, you just introduce people to the slavery narrative, you just introduce people to mass incarceration is modern day slavery 13th amendment and you start going down the laundry list of all the explaining and it just doesn't often make a click so giving these kind of numbers like we were quoting about the state prisons and how they begin to explode in population with numbers that are very similar to today's prison populations 70% blacks 65% blacks in the high to mid-60s across the board. Blacks, 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 blacks. This is a state institution that has existed as long as the institution has existed within the state. Slavery to building prisons to ending quote-unquote slavery to shipping the slaves into the prisons to continuing slavery through convict leasing. Don't you understand convict leasing is going on right now? This is convict leasing now. McDonald's having their uniforms made by inmates is convict leasing. It's insanely profitable for the leasee. McDonald's using prisoners at Wallace County Correctional Facility. McDonald's using inmates at Alabama's St. Clair Prison. In various state prisons throughout the state of Alabama in various prisons throughout the country. McDonald's is one of the largest corporations on the planet. They got people all over the place building their uh, processing uh, plasticware, processing beef, chicken, bread, and dairy products, and making uniforms. This is a matter of record now. Solidarity with the Free Alabama Movement solidarity with the free mississippi movement these are things they're pointing out and calling for specific boycotts targeted boycotts against mcdonald's we're going to have to focus on shutting them down making them feel a real pinch imposing economic sanctions it's not going to change the strategy is not it can't why would it change you haven't applied it yet it's like we got the the freaking okay the u.s decided to drop the bombs on uh... hiroshima and, and uh... nagasaki back in the day they decided to drop these bombs it felt like it was to this point now. You know, they had their little Pearl Harbor 9 nine eleven 11 event. So people would get behind melting all millions of people's faces. They, they said, okay, we we got people on board. We're going to do this. So then just imagine them not doing it, though. Yeah, Pearl Harbor happened. All your ships are underwater out there. We killed some of your people. Yep, we bombed your whole stuff. It's Yep, we did it. What? And America's got these bombs. And they just fly around in a holding pattern for a couple of years. Just well, we're gonna drop it. We're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Gonna do it and, and and they keep having Pearl Harbor Day to remember it. You know how we keep doing nine eleven? We remember it. Flags half mass and national ceremonies, the president speaks on it. We just do all these things for Pearl Harbor. But every time we just keep flying over Nagasaki and we keep thinking ourselves, so we gotta do it. We gotta avenge what has been done. We gotta we gotta do it. We gotta end this war because the japanese never stopped i mean at pearl harbor we didn't ever retaliate, so they just keep coming and keep destroying cities and keep bombing places and killing people and we just keep flying around with the bombs in in the bomb bay just waiting to we're gonna drop it we're gonna drop it that is us not imposing economic sanctions against our torturers that's exactly what we're doing we got the bomb and we remember the, the wrong that was done to us every day. Every day of your life as a person of color, I don't care what level of denial you're in. You think about it, even if you're just thinking, it doesn't apply to me, you still thought about it. If it didn't apply to you, you wouldn't even have thought of it. Those kids on the, from SAE on the on the bus talking about never will a nigger be in our whatever whatever, they never think about it (laughs) it never crosses their mind you see the difference? they don't think about it it doesn't apply to them it has nothing to do with them it's not them it's us, and even if you're in denial even if you're getting your raven Simone on and you're not an African-American, you're just an American I mean, I guess she's I guess she's right because if you're born here you're a domestic colony slave you don't really have a connection to Africa anymore you're a special kind of black person a special kind of negro here African, negro, colored, black and on and on and on but you think about it and you got the bomb but you won't drop the bomb you won't end it you won't stop paying them You won't stop paying your oppressor. We won't stop joining the military. We won't stop giving away our youth and our talents and our gifts and our abilities. We won't stop giving it away, begging to assimilate and begging for validation. And you're just going to keep getting a boot on your throat. Anyway, I don't don't know why I'm going all Pan-African today, just... Because I'm looking at the age at the age of this problem. I'm looking at 1860s and 1870s directly after Emancipation Proclamation. And I'm looking at how this is just one perspective of it. And I'm going to get back to the stats and the dates and all that because this is important. And I feel myself being educated. I feel like I know that you've got to be learning something from this. And this is adding concrete, hardcore facts to your argument. So when you present this, you can come with the facts, you can play back the podcast, you can take the links when I put them on the pages and through the social media and all this stuff. You can email me at newabolitionistradio at gmail.com if you want the links and you're not on social media. So I feel like we're being educated. So this is important information for us to be able to present in our arguments. But at the same time, I'm compelled by the dates. And I'm looking at how at the same time when this was happening... Our response was the Booker T. Washingtons or the pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And his whole campaign is financed by wealthy whites. I'm looking at the WEB the boys and the talented tenth rise and the and the renaissance of you know the great Negro whatever. And I'm looking at the Garvey side of it. And to get the hell out of this situation. And I feel like looking at all of okay, if I just look at these three, Booker T. Washington, W. B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey, and I look at the three different philosophies, two fairly similar, even though they had a surface kind of beef between them, but both agreed that they didn't like the Garvey side, but I feel like Garvey was being realistic when he if he had to know these numbers. I feel like Garvey was kind of like Frederick Douglass when he came into his awakening after the the emancipation some 20 years later. And the stupendous fraud. I feel like these are the people that had to see the reality that I see. 150 years later. You have to be able to see these kind of numbers. You have to be able to see, okay, where are black people going? we know where they've come from We're still there's still millions of them alive that came directly from the plantation where are they turning up and I feel like it's a realistic perspective to see that they're turning up in state prisons all over the south and they're turning up in state prisons all in the industrialized growth and in the industrialization of the north So, it should be pretty obvious to me as an, as an 1870 to 1920 black man, what has happened to my people, where we've come from, directly from, and gone directly into. So, at this point, I have to decide if for the next hundred years, is assimilating further and further attempts to assimilate into this system realistic so there was a few million black people who came directly off of the plantation where did they end up 1870, 1880 1890, 1900 1910, 1920 where were the millions of black people turning up in the state prisons we know there was at least 500,000 free black people during this end of slavery during the 1850s, 1860s time the whole Solomon Northup phenomenon what were they doing during slavery what was their complaint a lot of the abolitionist movement was started by white folks and financed by all of them 500,000 free Negroes was not broke Solomon Northup was doing alright And even the phenomenon of being able to be kidnapped into slavery as a free person, he was not the only one by far. It happened to tens of thousands of Negroes snatched right up off the free streets and dumped right in the middle of the plantation. And it still did not compel nor convince a mass movement out of our people to shut it down. Abolitionism is still historically portrayed and through the facts that are available in the books and in the history that we have is being somewhat of a fringe movement I mean I'm just trying to report the news to you, report the information to you so maybe you consider more thoroughly more deeply more realistically scaling back any of the the, the layers you know, we don't want to just take a shallow run at this. I want you to dig to the roots of the situation and really count the cost. Really evaluate are you ready to dismantle this? Because part of giving you solutions for how to dismantle it requires that you realize what you are dismantling and what you are actually engaging in. See, I could have a magic pill to give you and tell you right now what will make it happen, but you won't do it if you don't really feel compelled and you don't feel compelled because you don't really know what you're up against a lot of people are clamoring for the solutions but they don't even know what the problem is see the depth to which you will dig in from inside of yourself for the strength tap into the passion necessary for you to see this fight through to the end you have to have it ingrained in your very DNA an understanding of what you are actually fighting. You need to know the 1870s accounts of what was happening to black people. It will add to some of you additional passion that you're going to need to get through this fight. If this program just came day one and told you, okay, here's the ABCs of how to end it, it's just going to be another talking head, talking program of something where you could just hear some easy answer and it's not even going to be anything engages you but if you listen to what I'm talking about here, if you will listen to the information and you will identify with, you will connect with the ancestors you will honor what happened to these people Yes, we want to end mass incarceration because we're tired of the situation going on in America right now. I don't want to see my sons, nephews, cousins, little neighborhood kids, little boys from the church, little kids I've seen at the store, whatever. I don't want to see these numbers continue to apply to little boys and little girls of color. I don't want to see a continuation of the school-to-prison pipeline and seeing black children suspended 87% of the time In all schools across America and white children suspended 2% and Latinos and then, you know, blacks leading every single kind of category of what is the pathway straight to the penitentiary. I don't want to see that. So I'm in this. But my passion is driven not just from those children, not just from my children, not just from my own being compelled not to end up in there. I'm looking back to the ancestors where did I come from what was the threat over their heads I know my grandparents my mother's side left from where they were living in the south my grandfather was back from World War II still right back in the sharecropping the evolution of of debt peonage drafted into World War II fought in the war went to Japan dug foxholes on the beach Brave live fire. Did his tour duty. Lost his mind. Had to get it back again. All of that. To get back here and end up right back where he left. On the sharecropper's land. And and, and tasked with getting that crop in. And when he did what he did. And they did their works. And the crop came back. And they master took it or mr charlie took it to the market he came back and gave him some pennies and well you know you owe me and at that point he wanted to kill the man and my grandmother tells me he made actions towards going to going ahead to kill the man he didn't have nothing to lose she got behind him and encouraged him to keep it cool let's take what little bit we got and let's leave because at this point they know what you was about to do and they're going to be coming for us so let's just go We got family in the north, let's make our way. And they headed from Arkansas, headed to Detroit. Stopped in Kansas City, had a little family here, and ended up staying here. Established our family, our generation here. But that's a direct ancestor, I know, that was faced with the evolution of slavery in his lifetime. Grew up sharecropping, that's all they knew. Debt peonage. Farm this land, Negro, or go to jail, Negro, or how about go to jail and then I'll bring you out of jail and you're still gonna farm the land. It's time for it to end. In Tennessee, by 1870, convicts were being leased from the main prison in Nashville to three separate railroad companies in Tennessee. Somebody's grandparents is just all they know is the railroad. You see what I'm saying? We got to get real about the situation, man. During the 1880s, the legislature appropriated about $14 million to relieve the railroad companies that had suffered great losses during the war. It's no exaggeration. The convicts rebuilt Tennessee's railroads. In eighteen seventy one, coal mining companies began to use the convict labor, and by eighteen eighty two, more than half the convicts at the Tennessee at the Nashville prison were leased out. 1884, Tennessee Coal, Iron and Railway Company took complete control and leased the entire prison population. People don't listen to any damn fool. Ignorant person or somebody with an agenda or somebody that's profiting from the system those are the only choices you get somebody's either a damn fool they are completely ignorant they're profiting from it some kind of way or they have some sort of political interest in the continuation of modern-day slavery don't let any person tell you that this is not real and that it's not happening we're telling you the roots of how it began and we're showing you how it continues so just classify people as those four things if you can think of some other way then sure we'll add those in there too but right now what comes to the top of my mind is that there are four primary ways that people deny the reality of the truth about modern day slavery ignorance, foolishness or they have some sort of political or financial agenda interest, something that's making them protected because any person with eyes and a brain in their head They can comprehend what's being said to them or comprehend what they read with their own eyes, can see clearly the connection. The Tennessee Coal, Iron, and Railway Company took complete control and leased the entire prison population of the state. A sociologist once described how one company, especially the owner, Joseph E. Brown, made huge profits from convict leasing in Georgia. He said in 1880, Brown, whose fortune could be estimated conservatively at $1 million, netted $98,000 from the Dade Coal Company. By 1886, Dade Coal was a parent company, owning Walker Iron and Coal, Rising Fawn Iron, Chattanooga Iron, and Rogers Railroad and Ore Banks, and leasing Castle Rock Coal Company. In 1889, reorganization resulted in the formation of the Georgia Mining, Manufacturing, and Investment Company. This rested largely on a foundation of convict labor and as according to the 13th amendment any person convicted of a crime was a slave so slave labor the convict lease system was cruel and inhumane to say the least deaths were common and treatment caused much sickness and suffering in a coal mine in Georgia convicts were routinely whipped if they did not produce the daily quota of coal in Alabama inmates were punished by being placed in a sweat box during the day in the middle of the hot sun A Louisiana newspaper reported that it would be more humane to impose the death sentence upon anyone sentenced to a term with the leasees in excess of six years because the average convict lived no longer than that. Indeed, the death rate in 1896 was 20%. One in five people died. Kind of like what we're seeing today in the prisons. The mortality rate for inmates in the South was 41.3% or 41.3 per thousand convicts compared to a rate of 14.9 in the North. Same old plantation treatment. You were not human. They did not care about people of color. They didn't care nothing about black folks. they did not care you could die they would not give a damn we got another one because we have millions of negroes that we have no use for if we can't force you to pick cotton on this plantation for free if we can't force you to cut this sugar cane for free if we can't force you to do all of these different types of planting and agricultural work which we developed you for over a couple hundred years to do this for free for us then we have no purpose for you you're no longer our personal property See, when it was personal property, that was a defense that people used. Well, it, it would never do that to your personal property. They have to take care of you. But when it became agents of the state, that took away any kind of incentive to try to keep the people alive. When we come back, we're going to move into the more modern aspect. of. We told you enough history. We're going to move into the modern aspect. We're going to talk about the health care. Still, the, the mortality rate is still very high. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back we yeah. be yeah. are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules, visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. The uh, phone line is uh, 712-775-7035 The access code is 367-526-POUND It's star six and one and you will be on the air. So, we've given you quite a bit of history and discussed uh, where the beginnings in the South of uh, prison and slavery come from. Um, we've talked about the numbers and how, you know, the prison population continued to skyrocket from 1867, 1868 on all up through the early 1900s. Um, so, th- these are facts that have proven the Proven the case Um, But the next big boom In incarceration came in the wake of the Southern civil rights movement starting in the 70s Southern uh, states again led the way In a steep increase in incarceration Fueled by the war on drugs And new policing strategies and strict Sentencing requirements Um, They show A a, a statistic on here That that, that shows a, a changing map From the early 90s Says recently, Twitter and Reddit user Metric Maps posted this time-lapse map charting the growth in, in numbers in inmates in state and federal prisons, state by state. The map dramatically shows how Southern states played a leading role in recent incarceration explosion. A pattern soon followed in other areas of the country, and it does show. It's just it you know it has the little colors, and I'll put this on the on the social media, so you'll be able to see it for yourself. Says the latest incarceration boom was marked by profound racial disparities. The profit motive has also played a role. The share of state and federal inmates in for pro for-profit prisons grew by 37% between 2002 and 2009 there's no way in hell anybody on this planet can be convinced that people just became 37% more criminally inclined between 2002 and 2009 there's just no way do you even realize what a huge number that is but it's allowed, it goes on it's not me so I don't care But if you cared, if it was your child, if it was people that you thought were leaders in your community, if it was people that was the teachers of your kids, if it was the pastor, if it was the, you know, your people from your job or whatever, people you saw and thought were humans and cared, a number like that would have your jaw on the ground. But they're poor and they're black and they're Mexicans. And you don't really know, and you don't really think about it because it's just—I mean—who can really care about these people, honestly? I've got a life, I've got a job, I've got an education. I'm doing what's right. This is a problem, man. We got to snap out of it. The two biggest for-profit prison companies, Corrections Corporation of America and GEO Group Incorporated, which enjoyed a combined 3.5 billion dollars in profits in 2011 alone are based in tennessee and florida respectively and they've drawn fire for lobbying to maintain or boost harsh sentencing laws and other measures that increase the supply of prisoners in their facilities with the rapid growth of the south's immigrant communities it's also notable that half of the detained immigrants are held in for-profit detention centers we got a 34000 person a day mandate by law congressional mandate a law a federal law that requires that we provide 34,000 people for private prisons to put in prison at about 250 to $300 per head. Each of these people is worth about $109,000 per year. This is all pure profit for these folks coming out of your tax dollars. State-sanctioned slavery because all those people work for corporations once they're detained well Lassie County uprising resulted after they couldn't get health care after they got tired of getting scorpion bites and snake bites and bug bites inside inside the damn tents the tents yes, tents, tent city 200 men per tent, 10 tents that was their prison and forced to do labor for major corporations, McDonald's and Applebee's two that they named specifically those contracts are gone now And we force a law in place To hold 34,000 of them every day Our federal courts are seeing an average Of about 90,000 federal cases per year By far the most federal cases In any one particular area of the law Year in, year out Pertaining to people who crossed the border And came here and didn't have the right kind of visas And now it's a federal crime This is the, 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 the short version of the truth That I'm telling you This is what it is This is what we're dealing with And it's generating billions of dollars for private individuals. In recent years, economics also helped provoke the backlash against costly incarceration. Starting in the Great Recession of the late 2000s, when states faced record budget shortfalls, many began looking at ways to trim prison spending, including reducing harsh sentences for nonviolent offenders and accelerating release times for those education, training, treatment, and work programs but the legacy of southern justice remains of the 20 states that lock up the most of their residents, 12 are in the south and all have incarceration rates that dwarf the rest of the world yeah real life man this is reality the south was built on slavery as much as the rest of the country but maybe even more so and it remains until this day it remains the problem remains And the issue of the mortality rates, it remains. So now we'll just look at this right quick about the uh, the healthcare situation. This is from Newsweek. Interesting, Newsweek is even getting into this. I mean, this is mainstream news in a lot of ways. You just have to find the articles because they don't keep them out there. They don't put it out there like it's their lead thing. But they are talking about it, and they don't see like uh, Scotty Reed talked to Angela Chan, who who wrote for uh, the Huffington Post. The story. She's uh the lead attorney for uh Asian rights council of America, I believe is the name of it. But anyway, she's a she's a big attorney for one of the largest Asian uh, uh civil rights organizations in the country and wrote a excellent article in Huffington Post about slavery never ended in, in, in the United States. I put it into the, the abolitionist daily uh profile into into onto the page and it helped to put the information out there. But even that article is 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 bombastic as that is to put out in front of a nation of non believers. That article had like 2,000 likes and 800 shares or something. You know, nothing nothing mind-blowing. It, it did not go what I would consider to be really viral. But it's telling you some of the most shocking information that you're going to hear about in this country. Shouldn't that shock people to hear that slavery never ended? Shouldn't that have people like, wait a minute, What? And even in the aftermath of writing that, as Scotty asked her when he was on a when she was on a Black Talk Radio news, are you getting offers to come speak? Because she's been on all the cable uh, TV news shows before with other issues she's discussed, so they consider her an expert and they want to talk to her about other stuff. She's on Politics Nation. She's on Joy Reid. She's been on these you know, CS, uh, MSNBC, and CNBC and all these different whatever channels to talk about her. Other findings But nobody wanted to talk to her about Slavery never ended in America So I find that interesting And in these types of stories When you look at them If they show you the sheer statistics And the numbers and all that It is typically low But this is from Newsweek It says imagine a society Where convicts were sentenced to death By untreated renal failure Or denial of chemotherapy Modern Americans would surely consider Such a place barbaric and cruel Yet in the 90s and 2000s, California essentially meted out such punishments knowingly shoveling unprecedented numbers of convicts into overcrowded and under-equipped prison systems to serve long, hopeless sentences. In 2006, a preventable or possibly preventable death occurred somewhere in California's prison system, one every five to six days. I mean, I don't know if that number means anything. I'm going to say it again. It takes my breath away to, to say that in 2006 a preventable or possibly preventable death occurred somewhere in California's prison system one every five to six days so we got on the outside one every 28 hours and on the inside one every five to six days people that you can't get what do you think genocide looks like I just wonder what do you what do you suspect it looks like you get all in a big huff and a hubbub and everybody cries and we got to watch Anne Frank in the schools and we got to talk about Hitler forever because you just can't believe what they did to those Jews what do you think it looked like in the, in the in the concentration camps what i just wonder what do you what do you imagine it looked like do you think those people were considered innocent by the nazis do you think they were or or, or were they criminals see genocide has a very specific course that it takes and criminalizing and ostracizing marginalizing separating from the mainstream a people is one of the key factors in carrying out a genocide is to make people in the larger mainstream society look at a certain particular individual as being expendable this person doesn't have the value that you have This person is dirty This person is, is, is evil This person is a criminal This person is uneducated This person uh, doesn't believe in your God So it's okay if we do this to them So we're going to do it to them And you're going to go along with it I wonder do people see that The same thing is what's happening in our prisons. Classification, symbolization, discrimination, dehumanization, organization, polarization, preparation, persecution, and extermination. Number 10, denial. I think you just explained the treatment of the poor, the treatment of the mentally ill, the treatment of people of color in the United States of America. From hell, from 1492 to to 2015 and into the foreseeable future. I think those classifications just broke it down. These are the 10 steps of genocide. So, anyway, back to the article. One every five or six days just dead from something that could have been prevented. If you had just given the person basic medical care, they could have survived. But do you, who does that? You know, we got 170% to capacity, man. We got extras. We don't. Some of these people need to die so we can comply with the Supreme Court's ruling that we need to bring down this overcrowding. So we got to let some of them die. U.S. Supreme Court observed in 2011 case of Brown versus Plata, it's hard to find medical staff even for functional prisons. Vac- uh, vacancies in the California system ranges from 20% for doctors to 44% for simple things like x-ray techs. But an excess of inmates more than lack of doctors is what's causing the state's prison healthcare crisis. It's built to house roughly 80,000 uh, people, but California's prisons have been stuffed with twice that many. Since as far back as Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Schwarzenegger declaring a state of emergency just off the prison overcrowding. So this is, remember I told you last week, this is how he created his own executive order where he could allow himself to legally ship human traffic, to legally ship people to Oklahoma, Mississippi, and still keep a part of the profits that come from their incarceration. With every cell full, prison officials had packed packed gymnasiums with double and triple bunks and one one such makeshift dormitory a prisoner was beaten to death. No one of the prison staff even noticed for several hours. California concedes that such conditions uh, violate the Eighth Amendment, but the state has fought long and hard with prisoners' rights lawyers over how to remedy these violations. So this is just telling you, you know, the health issue is is largely because of the overpopulation. And Alabama is right here one of the most criminally negligent in terms of health care and people dying there and some of the, the largest rates, Mississippi. You know, these are all states that are leading the way in overpopulation. It's not a matter of we want to do something or we should do something or we need to do something and maybe we'll get around to it when we all agree to do something. The fact of the matter is, all of these states represent 150% capacity. 160, 70, 180 200% capacity you can't have a system built for 80,000 people that has up to you heard the uh, the, the uh, Supreme Court Justice when we told you about that last week when they testified in front of the House Appropriations Committee he said as a, as a Californian his state was at one time had of 187,000 people incarcerated in the state it was built for 80,000 people not not twice as many people traveled through some place that was built for half as many. Not twice as many people got on a boat and all of them forced the situation so they all crossed across the thing and then they all got off. Not twice as many people got on a train and then they all went to work that day and they all got off, but they just had to, everybody had to double up and fit in just to get. It's not a temporary situation. We're talking about the prisons, not even the jails. We're talking about the prisons where people have at least a one year, at least a year, 18 months, sentence. And the majority are going on. Five, six, seven years is about the average. And then in the 10 and 15 years, you're talking about subjecting people to double the overcrowding for year after year after year after year and the healthcare is reflecting that the death rates state to state are reflecting that people we have a human rights issue one of the most glaring blatant, blatant in our face on fire red alarm five alarm human rights issues on the planet currently this is not a luxury item to consider this is not a marginal concern this is not something you just get back to later when you finish saving the dolphins. I mean, unless you're on the front lines trying to figure out something to do about Fukushima, or unless you're, you know, in the Gulf somewhere trying to help clean up the chemical wasteland that they made of the Gulf and take care of all the cancer, tumor carrying shrimp and fish down there or something. I mean, unless you're working on something that's for all of humanity in some other capacity of this kind of scale, you're being incredibly I mean, historic historically I don't want to say the word ignorant, but you're being very obtuse about the reality of what this situation is. There are millions of people in this situation. This is not a luxury concern. It's not a sideline project. People, we have to work together to compel our friends and neighbors and loved ones to understand that this is happening on all of our watch. You may not have cared about it before. You may not have known about it before. But now that you're hearing about it, understand, we are keeping people incarcerated at nearly 200% capacity. The capacity wasn't good. But we got people eight deep in a two-man cell. And we think that's functional? Come on, people. How can you do anything to rehabilitate anyone with this? This is inhumane. These are the constitutional laws that are in place for the way we run this freaking country. And this system is in violation of several of them every single day of every single year, every hour of every day it's not happenstance, it's not happening occasionally I'm not just going off about it because it happened this one time they did this is the way it is every single day it is a violation of the 8th amendment of the constitution to uphold the 13th amendment of the constitution So that's just California. But we know that also the other states we've reported on, Florida's had 3,600 deaths in the last 10, 12 years down there. Alabama, hundreds and hundreds of deaths. Arizona, already been sued. Got out of it. Dozens and... I mean, state to state to state. People just cannot get the care they don't have the staff they're not going to staff them they're not going to fund it they're going to keep cramming people in what situation do you think is fair what situation do you think you're willing to meet your creator and explain your position on what was going on if you don't believe in god what do you think you're going to reincarnate as? If you don't believe that there's that you just there's one life, I'm, I'm just here. I don't know the evolution. I came from the slimy pit and began to be a walking, and I, I'm the survivor. I'm an evolved creature. Okay, whatever your thing is, what do you want to be your testimony for the time you had here, that you were blind to these situations that you did you offered nothing. I'm not asking you to martyr yourself. I'm not asking you to, to, to go run for political office and give away your career and spend all your money and jeopardize your kids college. And I mean, it's not even really asking a whole lot of sacrifice. The main thing, first of all, is, is accept that it's real. Once you accept that it's real, you open your mind up to the possibilities of how far this might actually go. And as you begin to care more, and you start to study more, and you start to listen more, and you start to communicate with people more and more, you begin to realize the gravity of the situation. Now you're ready to start getting into the part where you take action. You don't you don't just start off in this thing taking action because there's no way you could know how serious it is. And you're gonna be like a little kid the first day you take the training wheels off, and you never even rode with the training wheels. You just get on the bike and just think, well, it should be easy enough. I'll just pedal. And bam, you smack your face on the pavement. Now you realize riding a bike is not so easy. You just jump into this and think you're just going to just jump in and just have an opinion and just start voting and just start fixing it from the. You're not even going to understand the gravity of the situation. You're not even going to understand the depths. You got to come in, let your mind be changed, begin to develop awareness, begin to study the history, begin to understand the current situation, begin to understand what they're projecting for the future. And then start formulating your ideas and then start beginning to come up with, with a way to handle this thing for yourself and then how to integrate with other people that have been in it and become a part of it. Then you're ready to start taking action because now it's real and it's deep and it's, and it means something to me on a personal level and I understand this is, this is hell on earth. We can't keep having rates like this. Every five or six days, somebody dying, preventable disease or disorder. That is genocide, people. We can't continue to replicate the same systems that we saw back at the end of so-called slavery, 1867, where prisons begin, went from 2% black to 10 the first year to 20 to 40 to 50 to 60 percent blacks and this is the way it's been for 150 years we can't keep doing the same things that are wrong and think we have a future it it just can't we just can't keep doing it I want to tell you so I'll be brief with it I want to tell you about this uh class D felony bill that's coming out of Alabama um Alabama lawmakers are coming back from a spring break on Tuesday, uh, the 30th, uh, tomorrow, this, today's Monday, the 30th, um, with some of the biggest decisions of the legislative session in front of them, including votes on prison reform. Um, the Alabama Senate could vote on sweeping changes to sentencing and probation standards that are aimed at reducing prison crowding. A large part of the proposal seeks to divert low-level property and drug offenders away from prison. The bill creates a new Class D felony category for drug possession and low-level property crimes. So this is the problem with your reforms. We're talking about abolishing it. This still reflects the need to take advantage of the 13th Amendment Financial incentive of making slaves out of people when you can convict them of crimes. When you're talking about low level property crimes and drug possession and you still want to make it a felony, this is still what I consider to be a conspiracy to disenfranchise a certain population of the community. What is the need to continue to keep this as a felony? Why would we be voting on a new law? It makes what we already realize is the reason that the prisons are overcrowded a felony so what the person doesn't go to prison they still go to jail with a felony on their record now they still go into some probation program with a felony on their record now you're still keeping this person disenfranchised you're still keeping this person prevented from being able to get a job if there even are any jobs that turn up see this is how you, how you claim you're fixing something but you ain't fixing nothing this is the double talk people convicted of these crimes would not be affected by the habitual offender act and could be steered toward community corrections programs alabama prisons currently house nearly twice the number of inmates the facilities were originally designed to hold it's simple says cam ward either we're going to do this or we spend six seven eight hundred million dollars in new taxes on prisons or the federal court is going to come and take us over Oh, that's why you're taking action, because you know the feds are breathing down your throat. But the local cops are against this because they say that this bill is going to drain millions of dollars from county budgets if it passes. The bill, known as the Prison Reform Bill, will steer people convicted of low-level property and drug crimes to county jails instead of state prisons. It will create a Class D felony category for those crimes, which include forgery and simple drug possession. Alabama legislators say it's a way to get the state prisons population under control, but others disagree. Madison County Jail Deputy, uh, Chief Deputy Steve Morrison says the state legislators are looking for a way to solve their problem, but not thinking about the financial problems it's going to cause for local counties. Morrison says if the bill passes, his jail population is going to increase and inmates were, are going to stay there for longer. He says it costs around $40 a day to house an inmate currently. He says the state will only help out with $1. seventy-five for each new inmate the state will send his way. Another issue for Morrison is if the bill passes, technical parole violators would be sent to local jails, but the jails would receive no state funding. Morrison is already short on men and isn't sure how things are going to go if the bill passes. I know the state has to do something because they're afraid of going into the going into the justice taking over our program. I totally understand that, but it can't be done on the backs of these counties. This bill will also allow more low-level offenders to stay on the streets under supervision instead of going to prison. See, that's what they sold to people, is that it's going to keep people out of prison, and we're going to be able to keep more people on the street just under supervision, and we don't have to keep sending people to prison. And they just kept harping on that. But that felony is still unnecessary and still ridiculous and still what they're getting away with to continue the disenfranchisement of a certain population of this country and keep people from being able to get jobs don't believe the hype unexplainable black death and then we'll be ready to close Marlon Brown 38 was being pulled over for an alleged seatbelt violation when he got out of the car and started running a Deland Florida cop went ahead and ran him over killing him an internal police found uh, investigation found that Harris violated the department's uh chase policy and he was fired, but the grand jury found there was not enough evidence to criminally prosecute him for a vehicular homicide. Brown's family points out that the jury had not seen the video of the incident, and they questioned the testimony of the medical examiner, a man named Shipping Bao, who was fired after his testimony in Trayvon Martin's case. Bow said the car didn't strike Brown and that Brown had no broken bones, but he was instead pinned underneath the car and he suffocated to death. So there you have it. Rest in peace to our brother Marlon Brown, man 38 years old with a family and children and now a statistic that Don Lemon will happily quote to you with a scowl on his face toward black Americans. Why are you having all these children And you're not staying around to raise them It just doesn't make any sense You need to police yourselves Police murders real people Prison plantation murders real people Slavery in America is still going on And all of the techniques and tactics of the day Still apply right now This has been the Abolitionist Daily This is Johan and Elia We will be back tomorrow With more news and views Peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. I started in slave ships. Slave ships. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable until you reflect that for 200 years ships sailed carrying property and slaves. in in the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, it's actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums! Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Do you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.